Chapter 9 It was Theo Brown's own fault that he could not reason out the carefully kept secret. He had six facts to work with, but there was a seventh, which would have made all the others clear, and he was refusing to admit that it existed. That seventh fact was Thor. Were it not for the priest's stubborn blindness to the heathen god, he would have seen that once these men sailed from Iceland, they were never coming back. Here is what had happened in the woods near Thor's temple. The little group of bonders whom Eric's father had summoned there were those out of all he knew who could be relied upon with absolute certainty. He wanted no would-be earls trying to prevent his sailing in the hope that Olaf would hear of it and be pleased. At the general thing, votes would certainly be taken and laws passed, all on Olaf's behalf, so they must sail before it took place. There was no chance that he was guessing wrong about how it would go, for he had had a little taste of it at the house thing. As the saying went, he did not need to eat the whole egg to know it was addled. He spent an entire precious night considering those he knew who, for whatever reason, would be willing to leave Iceland at once and forever and keep the news to themselves. In the six he chose, he made no mistake. The number could have been greater, but less sure. All of them believed in the old gods and the old habits and privileges they symbolized. In addition, one had debts which he did not want to spend the rest of his life paying, one wanted to avoid trial at the thing for murder, and one was a Norwegian who fled from Olaf to Iceland and had no wish to be pointed out to him by Theobrand. All had the necessary quality of desperation. Feeling, however, that their personal reasons, though ever so urgent, were not sufficient guarantee of secrecy, he first made them go with him into the temple, where he sacrificed the ox which he had promised Thor. Then they dipped the altar ring in the animal's blood, swore secrecy, and begged the god that if they ever broke their oath, they should be changed into women. But even an oath enforced by a god was not enough. A man may break an oath and brave the consequences. Eric's father wanted an assurance that could not be broken, no matter what a man might be willing to do. That assurance was given by all seven of them. They gave each other their word. Had the townspeople known that, they would have realized it was impossible to learn the secret and stop trying. To give a word was an awesome, literal action, full of magic, because a word and the thing it stood for were one and the same. To say a man's name, for example, was to affect his flesh, and therefore not to be said lightly. You had a certain number of words, which were your power over the things you named. If you gave a word, the thing it stood for went with it. And if you broke the word, which of course you wouldn't dare to do, you broke the thing, too. Thus, if I said to you, I give you my word that I will not speak of this, 
And then I did speak of it after all. The broken word would break my power to speak, and I could never speak again. Several things happened to a word when it was thus used as a hostage. First it was given, then someone else took it. Then the one who had taken it said he had the first man's word, and when at last the first man made the word good, it was his again, so that he was able to say he kept it after all. Therefore, the giving of words was a most solemn deed, fatal to the giver if not redeemed. Except by monsters, a word was never broken, until Christianity came and changed keeping your word to telling the truth, which was an entirely different thing and almost impossible to do. Nobody could be sure of telling the truth even if he wanted to, and no threat of hellfire could compel it. The old way was more practical. When the seven bonders had thus made completely sure of one another, they went into the woods, for even in the temple someone might be listening. Some of them expected a proposal that they go to Norway and try to kill Olaf, and asked if that were it. The answer was no. He had thought of it, but it would be a hopeless attempt. With so few against all Norway, they would be throwing their lives away with nothing gained. They agreed that this was so. Then he told them what he did have in mind. When they heard it, they knew they had been right to insist on so many safeguards. He related what he had seen and heard in Ingolf's tomb, the advice Ingolf had given, and how by heeding it and repaying the old debt, they could save all they most highly prized. Just as Thor had found a new home for their ancestors in the old days, they must now find a new home for Thor. He knew of a place where such a home could be, but no one besides themselves must know, lest Olaf send a fleet and bring them back. Before telling them where it was, he warned them that they would have to build it up from the very ground, losing everything in Iceland that they had worked for, fought for, or inherited. They would have to people it, too, so let them bring their children. Let them bring their wives, too, if their wives wanted to come and could be trusted. If not, leave them for Olaf and Christ, and new women would be captured in raids to breed new families. The crew would have to be chosen carefully, being told they were going to the Orkneys, but they would be such men as would most likely stay with them when they heard the truth, which would be when they were well offshore. Dissenters would then be fed to the fishes. After that, they would bring the image of Thor up from the hold and tell him, and the others, where they were really heading. They were not going to the Orkneys, of course. The sight of their new home had not been revealed to him by his great-grandfather Ingolf, in a dream or elsewhere, but by his father Eric, or what was the same thing to him, by a vivid memory of his father Eric, with his flaming red beard looking like the sunset. They were going to Greenland. There, amid rocks and snow, would rise new altars, they would have to fight ice and bitter wind and hard, stubborn ground. But that was easier, in this dark moment of their world's life, than fighting Olaf, 
the Aesir Creed would live. And if things changed as none could now foresee, their sons might bring it back to Iceland at the point of their swords. Small streams become big rivers. This world itself contained nothing at all at first, before Odin and his brothers molded it for our delight. Odin and Vili and Ve, they say, found nothing but darkness and snow, and so they filled it with beauty, and then, my men, created a female and male. Wassail! A great cheer went up as he finished, heartier and louder than their small numbers seemed able to give forth. Even the woman, who had been unable to overhear what they were saying, heard the cheer when she was a long distance away. It meant that they were in completely. It meant that they agreed, as we only agree with one who says what we would like to have said ourselves. It meant that they were now seven, instead of only one. And they rewarded him with the prize he valued most. They acclaimed him their Sea King. Sea King. When they called him that, the two ends of his life came together and rhymed. Memories, by the dozen, mingled with the present reality, so that he could not tell which was which. A rush of all the thoughts he had ever had about anything were in his old nickname, which was now his real name, and between the two lay all the things that had happened to him, of which he now was made. He could not think of anything, because he was thinking of too much. Sea King. The sound of it was all he could take in.